Good morning. Good morning. My name is Kent Johnson, and I'm going to be reading from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let all your, or let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Will you pray with me? Father God, we just are so thankful to be here this morning, Father, able to worship in person before you. And God, we just worship you because of what you've done for us through Christ. And Lord, you gave us a Savior when we were in need and sinners and had no hope. And we're also just thankful, Father, for the words that Paul uh, gives us here, Lord. We know that life can be full of, well, and the world can be full of challenging and sometimes burdensome things. But, Lord, you remind us here in your word that through Christ, Father, we can have the peace that only you can give. So we just thank you and praise you always for Christ our Savior and just for who you are. In Christ's name, amen.
my very real prayer that you are able to see the way that scripture comes together with the words of the song you just heard because they do blend very very well now if you weren't able to see it maybe there's a block that kept you from being able to maybe there's something going on in your life that you need a breakthrough with that kept you from being able to see that if that's the case then it is also my prayer that over the course of the next few minutes, that will be lifted and you will be able to see how praise and worship precedes the breakthrough, what God has in store for you. 
Let's go back into the passage that Kent read for us just a few moments ago. We'll start there, then we'll come back to the breakthrough. I love those verses that he read for us. They are at the same time wonderfully deep, yet personally practical. They are theologically stirring and at the exact same time soul convicting. They are life encouraging yet at the exact same time, relationally healing. At first look, you might believe that what the Apostle Paul just wrote is all about you, all about us. But upon closer inspection, what you will discover is that those words are all about God. And we know that because of a sentence, a line, tucked away right in the middle of the verses that we just read. In fact, it is in verse 5. If you have your Bibles with you, open to Philippians chapter 4 so that you can see it for yourself. Verse 5 begins like this. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. In the translation that Kent read from just a few moments ago, it said the Lord is near. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. That's the theologically stirring parts of this passage. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. Now, interestingly enough, in our Bibles, there are some additions to what God intended to be there, what God wrote. Some of those additions we know as chapter headings or section headings. In my Bible, there's a section heading that comes between verse 1 of chapter 4 and verse 2. It is very simply this, exhortation, encouragement, and prayer. Now take just a minute to explore the idea of those section headings with me. What you may not realize is that those do not exist in the original transcripts. Those are not inspired by the Lord. They are not given by the Holy Spirit. Those are man-made. They are arrived at or decided upon by the editors of whatever translation of the Bible you are reading from. For me, that's the English Standard Version of the Bible, and that's why these three words exist. Exhortation, encouragement, prayer. The editors of the English Standard Version of the Bible said that the following verses, the ones that Kent just read for us, fit in those categories. Now, you may be reading from a different translation of the Bible, and the section heading is completely different than that. What you have to remember is that those are placed there by men. They're placed there by editors, and sometimes by a committee of editors. I like the way the New International Version, the NIV Study Bible, teaches on this issue. They say this, As an aid to the reader, sectional headings have been inserted. They are not to be regarded as part of the biblical text and are not intended for oral reading. It is the hope that these headings may prove more helpful to the reader than the traditional chapter divisions which were introduced long after the Bible was written. And there's a great point in that as well. The chapter divisions that you find in your Bible, God didn't put those there. When God was breathing out the words of Scripture, He didn't do it like this. 
Now, Philippians chapter 1, Paul, I want you to write that. Philippians 2, now write that. Philippians 3, now write that. Philippians 4, now write that. That's not the way it was written. It was written as a letter. So when you find chapter divisions and you find section divisions, those are placed there by the editors, which means there's a lot of supplication. There's a lot of opinion. There's a lot of interpretation that comes into play in each one of those. It also means that there's a lot of freedom for us to add our own supplication, our own opinions, our own ideas about how those can be broken down. In my estimation, and I hope the English Standard Version editors will forgive me for this, I think they missed it. I think they missed it. I really do. And I don't think they missed by a little. I think they missed by a mile. They didn't get it right. Now again, this is just my supplication, my opinion. If I were putting a section heading over the verses that Kent read for us, this is what it would be. It would say very simply, get a grip. That's it. Get a grip. That's how I would have set this whole thing up. That's how I would have introduced it. Get a grip. Now, let me say this. Chase another little rabbit with me. When I was in Bible college, we were taught to outline passages in order to get a deeper understanding of the content. That means breaking them down into bite-sized pieces so that you can really study them. It is a wonderful tool that I use on a regular basis, either in personal Bible study or in preparation for teaching. You can do the same thing. You can take any passage of Scripture and break it down into an outline so that you are able to explore it at a much deeper level. In Bible college, we were given entire books of the Bible that we had to break down into outlines. Might be a semester-long project that we had to work on, but at the end of the semester, you had to bring in an outline of that entire book, and then the professor would grade your work, and he would let you know whether you had done it right. So we had a lot of practice on things like this, and as a result of that, it's a practice that does continue on for me. And sometimes when I get into the realm of supplication like this, looking at a section of scripture, my mind can go all kinds of different ways. Doesn't mean it's wrong. There's a lot of freedom in this. So if I was outlining these verses of Scripture that we just read in Philippians chapter 4, and I was putting a section heading over the top of it titled simply, Get a Grip, here's how I would break it down. This is my outline. Get a grip on your attitude, verse 4. Get a grip on your actions, verse 5. Get a grip on your anxiety, verses 6 and 7. Get a grip on your mind verses 8 and 9. Now you can go back and read through that passage and see each one of those breakdowns and hopefully for you the get a grip idea will start to rise out of it. But if it doesn't, then remember this. The anchor of this passage is in that one sentence. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. Get a grip on your actions. The Lord is near. Get a grip on your attitude. The Lord is near. Get a grip on your anxiety. The Lord is at hand. Get a grip on your mind. The Lord is at hand. That's the way it works. Because the Lord is at hand, get a grip. Get a grip. Now that's why I would break it down this way. That's why I would title it 
the way I do. Because right in the middle of this passage is that great teaching. The Lord is at hand. Let's break that down a little bit. Let's just look at what that means. When Paul says in verse 5, the Lord is at hand, that leaves all kinds of room for supplication as well. All kinds of room for opinion. What does he actually mean by that? It is entirely possible that Paul is teaching us the Lord is at hand, therefore we need to get a grip on all of these things. The Lord is at hand, meaning he's coming back. And he's coming back right away. The Lord is near. His coming is imminent. And certainly we need to remember that biblical truth. If we lose sight of that, boy, we are in trouble. Particularly in the times that we live in today. We need to be continually reminding ourselves that Jesus is coming back. And every day that passes is one day closer to that truth. The Lord is coming back. So it is possible, it is entirely possible that that's what Paul is talking about. However, he said this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So because Paul has already said that, we can, for the most part, write that one off. Paul's already talked about that. The Lord is at hand does not necessarily mean that his return is right around the corner. Therefore, you need to get a grip on those things. I don't think that's where he was going. So in the realm of supplication, and there's a lot of freedom for that as well, it may mean that Paul is saying, get a grip on those four things because the Lord is near meaning God is watching, and he may not be happy with what you're doing in the realm of your attitude or your actions or the fact that you are wrestling with anxiety or the things that are going through your mind. And that will fuel within us the judgmental side of God like hay to a horse. It'll leave us thinking the Lord is about to bring the thunder on me, the other shoe is about to drop. And there is, there is a place for that type of thinking in our walk with God. Paul addresses that even in the book of Philippians. This is Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Listen to this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There is a place for us to approach God understanding that he could bring the thunder, understanding that the other shoe might drop. The apostle says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, because if you don't, if you don't, the outcome is terrible. If you don't approach your salvation with a certain element of fear and trembling, you leave yourself open for an eternity in hell. That's a long time. That's a long time. There is no end to it. So Paul says, maybe you do this because the Lord is at hand. Yet he's speaking to a group of believers. He is speaking to a group of people that have worked out their salvation. So it is entirely probable that he's thinking more along the lines of what the Apostle John would have written in 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, this is verse 7, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love cast out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. So we can probably take off the judgmental side of what some people believe Paul was referring to when he said the Lord is at hand, the Lord is near. We can probably set that one aside because Paul's addressing believers. He's addressing Christians. They have been perfected in love. And the perfect love of Jesus Christ cast out the fear of judgment. So we can probably write that one off. Well, that still then leaves us wondering when Paul said, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. Get a grip on these things because of that. What does he mean? Well, it's a relational term. It is a relational term. Get a grip on your attitude. Get a grip on your actions. Get a grip on your anxiety. Get a grip on your mind because you have the living God inside you, dwelling in you. So get a grip on all of those things. Live differently because of it. Get a grip on those things because you have a relationship with the Redeemer of the world. You have a relationship with the Creator of the universe. You have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. So get a grip. Get a grip on those things. It's a relational term. That's why it's the anchor point to the entire section. That's why it is theologically stirring. That's why it is wonderfully deep, yet personally practical. That's why we find things in it like encouragement for life as well as relational healing ideas. It is all of that tied together because of the relationship that we have with God because the Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. I have access to him. I have access to the throne of God. I like the way King David would take that idea and build on it. If you want to join me in the book of Psalms, you can see this for yourself. Psalm 139. Verses 5 and 6. This is a psalm of David. Listen to what he writes. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. That passage ties beautifully 
to what Paul is talking about in Philippians chapter 4. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. He hems us in. Put those two things together, and what you discover is, well, doctrinally, what we would refer to as the nearness of God. And the Bible speaks a great deal about the nearness of God. You may not realize that, but the Bible does. Here's just four other examples from the Psalms. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, saves the crushed in spirit, Psalm 34, 18. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works, Psalm 73, verse 28. But you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true, Psalm 119, 151. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth, Psalm 145, 18. That's the nearness of God. And we could continue this study on and on and on, going through all kinds of different places in Scripture. It's not just the Psalms and not just the book of Philippians that teaches it. The whole of the Bible teaches the nearness of God. That's why it is so relational. And that's why David's understanding in the 139th Psalm is so deep. The Lord is not only near to us, but he hymns us in. He hymns us in. Now that is kind of a difficult idea for us to understand. It's one of those that's, that's kind of out there for us. What does it mean to hymn us in? It is actually a military term. Here's a, a definition of it from a Hebrew scholar. I really like the way this is said. The idea is that God has us in inescapable situations and there steadies us, directs us, restrains us, keeps us from running and escaping from that situation. That's what it means when the Lord hymns us in. Now take that back to the things that Paul was addressing in Philippians chapter 4. Attitude issues, action issues, anxiety issues, even our thought life and our mind. Sometimes each one of those on their own becomes an impossible situation. But the Lord hems us into it so that we cannot run from it. We can't escape from it. God has shut off the escape routes. He keeps us there. He encloses us within it. He is in front of us, he is behind us, he is beside us, he has walled us in to the situation. Now you hear that, and then you apply it to those really practical things in Philippians chapter 4, and you think to yourself, how? How could a loving God do that to us? How could he hem us in to wrong thinking? How could he hem us in in moments of anxiety and cut off all escape routes so that there is no way through it? How can he cut us off in relational, action-oriented situations, cut off all escape routes and leave us with somebody that just can send us over the edge? How can he leave us in the midst of bad attitude situations and hem us in so that there is no way out? Well, he can do that because he loves us. And David showed us why. This is still in Psalm 139. Verse 6, well, verse 5. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. 
you lay your hand upon me. Wow. That's what David's saying. He hemmed me in, and he's in it with me. God isn't outside of any of those situations. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. You see, one of the other wonderfully deep things that we get to understand from the nearness of God is the fact that God is always involved in his creation. God is always involved with those that he created. God does not sit off in some distant land watching us. He is right in it with us. When he hymns us in, he hymns himself into the situation with us and lays his hand on us. He's steadying you. He is steadying you. You think about that. His hand is resting on you. When you want to run, he's holding you back. When you want to do something that you shouldn't, when you are understanding the nearness of God, God says, don't do it. Don't do it. He holds you back. When your anxiety starts to rage, God moves that hand from this shoulder to this shoulder and he has his arm around you and says, I'm here with you. It is all right. When your mind starts to race in ways that it shouldn't, God's there to say, but I'm here. Think about me. Now listen in verse 6 of the 139th Psalm to what David says. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Charles Swindoll would say that when David made that statement, it's as if he is saying this whole idea is so big it blows his mind. King David is saying that is so big, that is so large, that is so high, I can't attain it. Lord, you're blowing my mind that you could love me enough that when you hem me into a difficult situation, you do the same to yourself. You are hemmed into it with me. You blow my mind the nearness of God. That's the nearness of God. And that's why we find ourselves in a situation where we can say, I can deal with attitude issues, and I'll choose to rejoice. I can deal with action issues, with other people, relational issues. I'll let my gentleness be evident to all. I'll become a reflection of who God is rather than who I want to be. I'll do that. And even when I am anxious and worried, I will choose to lay that down and grab hold of peace and trust. And then when my mind is going places that it shouldn't and I am stuck in my mind, I will choose a different path through it because the Lord is near. The Lord is at hand. Wow! Blows my mind that God will be right in the midst of all of that with me. He'll be right there with me through all of it. Writer of Hebrews understood that. That's why he said this. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. He starts in the practical as well. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? writer of Hebrews, together with the Apostle Paul and King David and all the other places that we could go in Scripture that are teaching us the nearness of God, what they're really teaching us is that there is a breakthrough coming no matter what we are hemmed into. 
no matter what has been walled off in our life, no matter what we are dealing with, and the Lord's hand is upon us, there is a breakthrough coming. There is a breakthrough coming. So the writer of Hebrews says, I know it is coming because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Therefore, I can confidently say, I can start to expect what waits on the other side, which leads the way to us being able to say, I will praise before my breakthrough because the Lord is near. I will worship before the victory so that the expectation is already in place to see it because the Lord is at hand. Because of the nearness of God, something so vast in our relationship with Him, so vast that it blows our mind, it sets the stage for me to be able to praise before the breakthrough, to worship in advance. You may not know what that looks like, That idea in and of itself may blow your mind. So let me show you. We'll go back to the Old Testament, the book of Exodus. Join me in chapter 14, will you? Moses has led the Hebrew people out of captivity in Egypt. They were hemmed in to slavery. They cried out to God. God heard them, and he brought them out. So they have left Egypt... They are about to cross the Red Sea. The Egyptian army is chasing them. It doesn't look good. They're a bunch of slaves, tired, worn out, exhausted. They're being chased by military giants. So you can imagine that it was daunting. Listen to this, verse 13. And Moses said to the people, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. He just set the stage for the nearness of God idea. Fear not. What are you worried about? Yeah, we're hemmed in. It doesn't look good. We have an ocean in front of us. That could be overwhelming for some people. And we have an army behind us and beside us. And they're surrounding us. And they have chariots and all we have are sandals. It, it on paper, looks like we're about to get defeated. But Moses said, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. If he were writing modern day songs, he would say praise before the breakthrough. God's about to do something. God's about to do something. Get a grip. Get a grip. Get a grip on your attitude. Get a grip on your actions. Get a grip on your anxiety. Get a grip on your mind. Wherever it's going, you get a grip because God's about to do something. You don't even have to help. Just be silent. Watch what God's going to do. You ever found yourself in a situation where you have lost your grip on your attitude? and you know that you have lost your grip on your actions, and you have lost your grip in the realm of anxiety and worry, and it rages within you, and then your mind just spins out of control. Has that ever happened to any of you? So that you get to a place where you are so loud in your head and maybe even through your mouth that you couldn't hear the voice of God if you tried? Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Oh, good, I'm glad I'm not alone. That's why right now Moses is telling the Egyptians... Just be silent. Listen close. Praise before you break through. 
Because God's about to do something. Watch what he does. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff. Now remember the ocean's right in front of them. So now God says, tell them to go forward. If God tells you to walk out into the water, that that's your escape, you might question. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And if you go on in verse four, or chapter 14, you'll find out that God did it. Because trust this, God says what he means and he means what he says. So go forward. I'll get the victory. Go forward. Praise before your breakthrough. Get silent so that you can. As you make your way through chapter 14, it leads the way. Boy, this, the, you're going to be so happy you have a preacher to help you with this. It leads the way to chapter 15. And that, now you're happy you have a teacher to show you that. But what I really want you to see is what Moses does next. In my Bible, the heading over that chapter is the Song of Moses. Listen to some excerpts from it. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, and my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Verse 6. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. Verse 8. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them, they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, uh, in glorious deeds doing wonders? Verse 13, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. And verse 18, the Lord will reign forever and ever. That was his song. That was his song. Now, obviously, in this particular case, it came after the victory. But before that song started to rise out of Moses, he was telling them, move forward. That's what God said. Put a foot in the sea, move forward. I'm going to hold up my staff. And when I do, God's going to do something cool. Just follow along. Because God is hemmed in with us. And that is so big, we can't comprehend it. If David struggled with that, how much more will we struggle with it? So there's practical ways to deal with it. Let your song become your triumph. Praise before your breakthrough. It leads to trust. It leads to trust. So you trust God. You get a grip on things that most of us wrestle with. Get a grip on your attitude. Because if you don't get a grip on your attitude, it will lead you into actions that you don't want. And oftentimes as a result of those actions, particularly when they blow up relationships, worry and anxiety is waiting right outside. 
And those will start to rage within us until our mind spins out of control. So Paul says, back in Philippians chapter 4, you set your mind on the things of God. You recalibrate it for this reason. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Praise before your breakthrough. Get a grip so that you can see what God is going to do. You find your song that will help you. Moses did. Wrote his own and taught it to the Israelites. You find your song and you praise before your breakthrough so that when you need it the most, you can get a grip, a firm grip on the things that you need to. And you might say, I don't have a song. Try as I might, I don't have a song. The enemy is too big. The enemy is too great. The walls are too tall. I don't have a song. I don't see any hope. Then let me encourage you to get incredibly quiet. Incredibly quiet. Change your attitude to one of rejoicing, like Paul would teach. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it. Rejoice. Change your attitude to one of rejoicing. And then get quiet so that you can hear God's song. You may say, preacher, what in the world are you talking about? God's song. You listen close to God's song. The old prophet Zephaniah teaches this. This is chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. God will quiet you. When you don't have a song, he does. Listen to his song. It is one of salvation that begins with your soul and it ends in whatever situation you are hemmed into. If you don't yet have a song, listen to God's. It will help you praise before your breakthrough. I want to pray with you, and then we'll invite you to stand. If you are in the midst of something, seemingly hemmed into it, and you didn't realize God was there with you, and you want to praise that there will be a breakthrough, but you can't see it, then this invitation is for you. Whatever that is, maybe that's as you face your sin, and you don't believe that God can forgive you. He has. He has. You just have to move into it. Respond to this invitation and talk to somebody about what that looks like. Maybe there is something standing between you and the breakthrough that you want more than anything with the Lord, and, and you know that that's obedience, and that obedience has been measured out by baptism. You just haven't taken that step. Well, respond this morning to the invitation and talk to somebody about that. Maybe it's a lot more practical than that and you have some relationships blowing up in your life. Maybe it's attitude. Maybe it's worry or anxiety and maybe your mind is just not where it should be. And you want to praise. You want the breakthrough. But first you need to take a step and have somebody pray with you. Do that today. Respond to this invitation because the breakthrough is right around the corner. All you have to do is start 
looking for it. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for loving us the way you do. Wow. David says at times it's too great for us to comprehend. Blows our minds. Even the fact that when you hem us into situations and you cut off all escape routes, you choose to be in those situations with us. You are hemmed in beside us. Thank you, Lord, for placing your hand on us, allowing us to feel that, to sense that, to know that you are here and that we'll be okay. Father, that's true when we face the giants of our sin and when we face every giant after that, every army that would chase us into the sea. Lord, there is comfort in knowing that you already have a plan. So thank you. Help us get a grip on the things we need to so that we can see it. And Lord, would you give us a song that allows us to worship first and then walk through the walls. And thank you for doing the same with us, walking through the walls. Lord, so much of us just needs to say thank you for all you have done. So we do. In Jesus' name, amen.